old age. Mr. Mercer, would you please read the statement to bring us back into open session? Chair Swigert, I move that the record shows that the only items discussed in the closed meeting were those specifically cited in the motion to convene into the closed meeting and those lawfully exempted from statutory meeting requirements. Is there a second? Second. Moved by Mr. Mercer, seconded by Mr. Poole. Is there any discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Dr. Smith. Motion carries with all board members present voting yes. <clears throat> Are there any items resulting from closed session? Ms. Dean. Yes, I'd like to make a motion to augment the record for the appeal of the superintendent's decision. Is there a second? Second. Seconded by Mr. McCormick. Is there any discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. aye. Opposed? Aye. I did that too fast. Apologies. This is just a motion for adding information, augmenting the, the record for the um, <laughs> issue being conserved. All those in favor say aye. Uh, aye. Opposed? Dr. Smith. Motion carries with all board members present voting yes. Okay. I will entertain a motion on the appeal of the superintendent's decision pursuant to policy 512. Ms. Dean? Yes, um, I move that upon review of the student one matter, the board conduct an in-person hearing at its next scheduled meeting for additional fact-finding, and that student one's parents and the attorney be invited to attend, and the superintendent and his staff may also be um, in attendance and provide additional information as well. Is there a second? Second. Seconded by Mr. McCormick. Is there any discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Aye to opposed. Dr. Smith, do you need a count? Um, yes, a show of hands would be helpful. Okay, all those in favor, please signify by raising your hand. All those opposed, please raise your hand. Dr. Smith. Motion carries with a vote of four to three with board members Mercer, Scott, and Walker voting in opposition. I know it. <clears throat> Pardon me, I'll now entertain a motion on the appeal of the superintendent's decision pursuant to policy 921. Didn't somebody make a motion? Can you make that motion? Can I? I move uh, um, the, the upholding of the appeal. Is there a second? Seconded by Dr. Walker. Motion made by uh, Mr. Mercer. Is there any discussion? Madam Chair, I, I'm sorry, but I think the motion is yeah, unclear. I, I, I Can we restate the motion, please? I move the upholding of the superintendent's decision. Thank you. Does that Thank suffice? You. Thank you. And seconded by Dr. Walker. Is there any discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Dr. Smith. Motion carries with all board members present voting yes. Uh, we'll now move on to the invocation and the pledge. Um, at this time, we will um, stand as you're able and have a moment of silence. After that, I will ask Ariella Moran, a fifth grader from Great Bridge Intermediate School, to lead us in the pledge. Please stand as you're able. Ariella, please join us at the podium. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, and will obtain justice for all. There being no awards and recognitions tonight, we will now move on to the public hearing for the superintendent's proposed operating, categorical, and special funds budgets. Dr. Smith, are there any citizens who have requested to speak under the public hearing section tonight? Yes, Madam Chair, we have one citizen requesting time to speak about the budget. Thank you. Good evening, Dr. Cotton, members of the school board. My name is Michael Fox and I live and work in Chesapeake. I'm in my 20th year as a seventh grade teacher at Great Bridge Middle School, but I've also served as their athletic director for the past 18 years. 
I'm asking you to picture the following scenario. It's the first day of fall sports at the middle school, meaning that there's a girls' soccer game, a boys' baseball game, and a girls' softball game all taking place at three different locations. During the morning, there's a threat of rain, and the weather forecast calls for afternoon showers. The middle school AD, who's also a math teacher, has been keeping one eye out the window watching the weather while also teaching that day's lesson. A decision has to be made soon about canceling that day's game so that all the interested parties, officials, support staff, security, transportation, and parents can be notified in a timely manner. The clock is ticking, but the math teacher has another 30 minutes to go in that class, followed by another class, and then a meeting during the planning bell. So how does he or she get things done? At a middle school AD meeting last spring, student activities brought up the possibility of making the stipend position into a full-time position. Since then, whenever the subject was brought up at uh, subsequent meetings, it was made clear that it would be a budget issue. So when next year's budget was unveiled before the school board in February, a full-time middle school AD position was not included. This was disappointing to say the least. The budget does stress the importance of retaining and supporting our valued employees. Apparently, from my reading of the budget, the only way to do this is to offer more money to our employees. This would be in the form of a salary increase, a salary study, and providing several new stipends to recognize staff effort beyond daily responsibilities. However, as to this last point, nowhere in the budget from my reading does it specifically say what these new stipends are and who would get them. So what point am I trying to make here? Again, speaking as an experienced middle school athletic director, we are being stretched too thin with the real possibility that some of us may leave that position. When new sports are added next year, we will go from three nights of athletic activities to four nights for both the fall and spring seasons. And on many of these nights, two or three games will be take place at the same time in different locations. So this goes back to my original question, how is he or she going to get that done? So I'm back to stipends. It's unclear from my reading of the budget what is actually meant by several new stipends. I want to make it clear that getting a stipend is not what got me into becoming the AD. I do it because I love working with student athletes. And to make it even clearer that I don't do it for the money, I've continued in this position even though all middle school stipends have remained the same since 2008. Since next year's budget points to more money being the answer for retaining valuable employees, and should we apply the same philosophy when it comes to stipends? Earlier this year, I was asked to submit an intent to return notice to indicate if I would be returning to my teaching position next year. If CPS felt the need to send these notices to stipend people at the same stipend levels, they should not be surprised at the response they will receive. Thank you. We will now move on to the hearing of citizens. During their allotted time, speakers should observe our rules of decorum and know that expressions and concerns and criticism on matters of school policy and operations are welcome. While the speaker's own comments are welcome, they may not play pre-recorded messages. Dr. Smith, are there any citizens who have requested time to speak this evening? Yes, Chair Swigert, we have eight citizens requesting time to speak. I want to thank those speakers who've signed up to address the board this evening. There are two ways that citizens can request time to speak at the meeting. You can either call the clerk's office between 12 noon the day of the meeting or sign up to speak prior to the start of the meeting. All in-person requests to speak must be submitted to the deputy clerk five minutes prior to the published meeting start time. Each speaker will have three minutes to address the board. Once your allotted time is over, we ask that you promptly exit the podium. You may choose to sit in the boardroom if seats are available, but standing or sitting on the floor will not be permitted and you may not block the exit doors. We would also like to ask that you refrain from any behavior that disrupts the meeting, including the use of profanity, applause, cheering, or jeering. Dr. Smith, please call the first speaker. Speaker number one, it's your turn at the podium. Speakers will be called in numerical order and will be asked to state their name and city of residence for the record before they begin. Vic Nichols, Chesapeake. I want to speak to what I think is a um, relevant court case. The Massachusetts Supreme Court ruled March 7th in Barron v. Calendra, a case that brought plaintiffs cut off and threatened with expulsion for speaking at a public meeting, comparing one of the board members to Hitler at one point on open meeting law violations and other issues that ruffled the elected government's feathers. The board invoked a public comment policy requiring civility to muzzle their critic. The court ruled that orderly and peaceable, as the law stated, is not the same as respectful and courteous, courteous 
and not a license to enforce good manners on constituents who are upset about issues. Although civility is to be encouraged, it cannot be required regarding the content of what may be said in a public comment session of governmental meeting. There is no question that the civility code is directed at political speech as it regulates content speech in a public comment session of a board meeting. Speech that politely praises public officials or their actions is allowed by the policy, but speech that rudely or disrespectfully criticizes public officials or their actions is not. That constitutes viewpoint discrimination. The court also found that the elected official, uh, Mr. Calendra, whom Barron compared to Hitler and silenced her and threatened the expulsion, is not entitled to qualified immunity for the violations of her rights. And while it's fine that I see board members reading to kids, it is my belief that more parents and taxpayers would be interested in the board and administration addressing complex problems rather than blocking what they view as offensive speech that we do not, especially when it involves complex problems. Thank you. Speaker number two, we'd like to invite you to the podium. Please state your name and city of residence before you begin. Good evening. My name is Robin Osborne. I'm from Chesapeake, Virginia. And I'm here this evening to continue to shed more light on SEL, social emotional learning. The Virginia Department of Education actually adopted SEL standards in 2021 and 22 according to LaToya Harrison, the Chief Academic Officer to Superintendent Dr. Cotton. Perhaps unbeknownst to our school board at that time, research has since revealed that SEL supports abortion rights, LGBTQ interests, transgender philosophy, left-wing economics, globalism, and social, social justice white supremacy. Although in January of 2022, Governor Youngkin signed an executive order banning CRT being taught in a Virginia public schools, unfortunately, it is still being implemented under the term social-emotional learning. Its connection and tentacles tie closely with CRT. I have shared this information previously, and I address it once again tonight for our current 2022-23 school board that of which the majority of you ran on conservative and godly principles. I implore you to look into the curriculum, how it is being implemented in each grade level, and to take action on choosing, as for me in my house, as for me in my school system, we will serve and uphold an honorable and pure education for our students. Additionally, I've made a list of disturbing books that are currently being provided in our classroom library still. I was able to confirm the information by going under the CPS website. From there, to students, to library, re library resources, and clicking on the tab Destiny, which actually I thought was an interesting choice of words. For don't what we read, watch, and listen to indeed form our actions and then eventually our destinies. According to an article in the Daily Signal entitled, Does Your Kid's School Librarian Need Parental Supervision? This past September, K through 12 schools had a banned books week, banned books week on sexually explicit writings and images, the promotion of so-called transgender lifestyles and child sexual abuse, to name a few. And yet, many of these books remain in our school libraries. It is on our watch, and we will be accountable to God as to promoting and providing appropriate or inappropriate curriculum and books that will enhance or destroy the souls of our children. Thank you. Speaker number three, it's your turn at the podium. Please state your name and city of residence before you begin. Good evening. My name is Gail Dickerson. I live in Norfolk. I am a retired school, public school principal that has held several district positions and I'm here to talk about the After School Satan Club. This is a public school, not a social hall or a venue being rented out to anyone or anything. Our purpose here for our buildings and this district exists primarily, actually only, to meet the needs of young children, 
these minors are put into our care. There is only one word that has keeps coming back to me, and that is discernment. As a parent, we discern where our children go, who they are with, how safe are the places they will be. As a teacher, as an administrator, and yes, as a school board member, we must also discern about this and more. In curriculum committees that I have been active in, and in implementing curriculum. We always look at the curriculum and make sure, is this good for the child? Is it appropriate for the child? On a campus, you don't just let anybody come in and out. You discern, you decide, is this a good person or a bad person? Is this good for a child or not good for a child? Even in the library, we had committees where parents were a part of to read the books that we were going to put into our libraries to make sure that it was appropriate and good for our children. In many of the classes that I took, they often talked about a reasonable person. They referred to a reasonable person in deciding a law or a case. What reasonable person looking at the website of those sponsoring this after-school Satan Club would say this was good for our young children? As those responsible for this decision, I ask you to discern what is best for these young ones. Are you being as careful as all of these other areas? Whatever it's worth, I have two recommendations. Number one, have activities that only enhance themselves with district academic objectives. Or simply eliminate all the after-school clubs. Thank you. Speaker number four, it's your turn at the podium. Please state your name and city of residence before you begin. Terry Dickerson, Norfolk. I'm here to speak about after-school activities and safety. We had recently at the Williams Primary Elementary School a bomb threat. The people at or the administration or whoever was in charge of safety had them hunker down in place on a bomb threat you clear the buildings. You don't leave people there to be burned, bomb, blown up. Excuse me. Where is the safety of this school district that you would actually have children held in place for if that one particular room or building is the one that goes up, all the children are held there to make sure that they're hit? That's wrong. Every one of you should be concerned about those children. That is why you're here. The second thing is, what other aspects are we overlooking in our discernment, thank you, of the issues that affect our children? The things that they're brought together. In schools, they are brought to ideas. Which ideas are right and which are wrong? We discern when we make our curriculums. We do not seem to discern when anything after school happens. Is the after-school Satan Club, for one club, being the ones, I mean, moving from 6 o'clock to 2.30? If that's the case, what are we bringing? The only people that can be there at 2.30 are students from that school. Everybody else wouldn't have time to get there. So it is specifically for children that are up to second grade that are going to be brought in to those particular activities. Are they the right activities? What about the after-school athletic programs? We have three different, maybe four different venues at one time. How are we handling securities there? What happened to the money that was paid for security at Williams at primary? Nobody gives an answer. Nobody gives the answer. You all know that money was paid out for security there, but it was never reimbursed because you have never been open to giving information out. This school district and this board 
is not being opaque, I mean, is being opaque on information. That is a shame. Thank you. Speaker number five, it's your turn at the podium. Please state your name and city of residence before you begin. My name is Amanda Raymond and I'm from Chesapeake. Good evening, Madam Chairwoman, members of the board, Dr. Cotton and division staff. I would like to provide more public comment about special education and inclusive education within our division, specifically with requests I'd like you to consider. You should soon be hearing about the annual plan or in parent friendly terms, the report that describes how IDA grant money is used for students with, dis with disabilities in our division. And therefore, please keep these in mind when you review that information and any other budget proposals. Number one, I have mentioned current practices for educating students with disabilities are not designed to support students with more significant needs in inclusive settings. Making this type of systemic change will not happen overnight and I'd like to request forming a working group to address the barriers of inclusive education and create a strategic plan for our division to improve the way we serve our students with disabilities. It will take intentional and persistent leadership to affect change. Research shows that when new innovations have effective leadership to guide the change process, there is 80% success in implementing the new innovation within three years. Without that leadership in place, there's only a 14% success rate over 17 years. The Thai Center was the National Technical Assistance Center for supporting inclusive education, and they have created an inclusive education roadmap. I urge you to take the first step in making this working group a priority. Number two, the relationship between parents and school staff for many students with IEPs is strained and often communication is not effective. I would like to request that this board consider hiring a parent ombudsman to act as a facilitator and become an informal step in our dispute resolution process. The Virginia Department of Education has a long-standing position such as this that represents how a position in our division can have a meaningful impact and help create more collaborative working IEP teams, which in turn will hopefully promote trust with parents and improve the outcomes for our students with disabilities. Number three, lastly, with autism being the third largest eligibility category under IDEA, I would like to request that our division consider hiring a board certified behavior analyst to address the unmet behavioral needs of students with disabilities. It is my understanding that our division has behavioral specialists without this certification. However, we must ask ourselves if this meets the criteria as a highly qualified professional as outlined by IDEA. We require teachers to obtain certifications and licenses to teach. Why would we not require the same for professionals who address the challenging behavior, behavioral needs for students with disabilities? The addition of this type of highly qualified professional could not only improve the outcomes of students with disabilities, but it would also be a resource for our general education teachers to continue serving students with behavioral challenges in the least restrictive environment. I humbly ask that, humbly ask that you consider these three items and make our students with disabilities a priority. And the SEAC meeting is tomorrow night here at the school administration building at 6.30 if you'd like to join us. Thank you. Speaker number six, it's your turn at the podium. As a reminder, speakers are asked to state their name and city of residence before they begin. Hi, my name is Karen Lewis and I'm from Elizabeth City, North Carolina. I'm here to talk about, I'm, I'm here because I'm against a Satan club that's apparently approved from the, the Board of Education here and it's just really disappointing. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and here we are allowing this evil in the school, in a club, we should be looking out for our children. Our Lord says, let the children come to me. And here we are allowing Satan to take over. Luke chapter 11, verse 23, and also Matthew chapter 20, verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. Those are Lord, the Lord's words. So those that voted for the Satan club, you know, you it's... It's plain out that you guys are against Jesus, and it's sad. That's on your soul. Our Lord suffered on the Passion, and Easter's coming up. Think about Thursday, the agony in the garden, the 
the crucifixion, him carrying the cross, the scourging at the pillar. And here we are spitting on our Lord with our sins and allowing Satan in the schools. I hope that this can be overturned and we put our Lord at number one where he, be where he belongs, not Satan. Speaker number seven, it's your turn at the podium. Please state your name and city of residence before you begin. My name is Steve Shearbaum. I'm from Chesapeake. I'm here today to continue to speak out against the After School Satan Club. Some of you may find it strange that I am doing this as the school board body voted to continue to rent out facility space to outside organizations, including the After School Satan Club. The fact is that my Catholic faith and conscience will not permit me to be silent in the face of such an evil and disastrous decision. I plan on continuing to come and speak out as a Chesapeake citizen, devout Catholic, and a concerned parent of four children, the oldest of which was a first grade student at BM Williams until the decision of the district to allow the after school Satan Club to meet forced me to pull her out of the school. I would like to address a comment made by the school board chair, Mrs. Angela Swigert, as to why she was voting to approve the outside organizations to continue to meet on school grounds. She was adamant that the decision comes down to what the parents want. To reply to this, I would ask her and all the school board members, what would you do if a group calling themselves the Hitler Youth wanted to meet at school with parental permission? There were plenty of parents in Nazi Germany that sent their children gladly to Hitler Youth camps. Maybe you could find one or two parents that want their kids to attend such a club at B.M. Williams or some other elementary school. I would hope that every person on this board would come to the realization that this is a bad idea and they would do everything in their power to ensure that such a club never met. Unfortunately, we see that five school board members voted to allow an analogous club to meet and a sixth, Dr. Brittany Walker voted against it only because the proposed, proposed facilities use change would permit outside organizations to meet too close to the end of the day. What's worse, I'm pretty sure that all of you claim to be Christian. Mrs. Kim Scott even went so far to express her Christian faith and sharing that her own children attended the Good News Club as students. This is analogous to a Jewish board voting that Nazis would be permitted to meet in their school. It boggles the mind, and it should instill no faith in the community's trust in the school board. I would also like to share with you some of the reactions of the people who were out at the prayer rally when the After School Satan Club met on February 16th. We had over 40 people outside praying. Mind you, we didn't even think that the club was going to meet. One woman who is a retired school guidance counselor from an elementary school was in tears. She felt so bad for these poor innocent children who she referred to as babies. Other people's emotions ranged from sadness, emptiness, and anger that our leaders would allow such a thing to happen. There were nine children there that attended the After School Satan Club. How do you feel about that? I pray that all of you will repent on this side of the grave. Our blessed Lord says, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than he should scandalize one of these little ones. Never forget that you were placed in this position only because God permitted it and your decisions will be remembered for all eternity at your particular and general judgments. How will you be remembered? Will it be similar to Pontius Pilate who put our Lord before the mob to be crucified? The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Who do you fear? God, the Satanists, lawyers, parents, or some, something else? I pray that you will be guided and do the right thing. May God bless you and thank you. Speaker number eight, it's your turn at the podium. Please state your name and city of residence before you begin. Ernie Stokes, Chesapeake, Virginia. Madam Chair, members of the school board, Dr. Cotton, and other distinguished staff. My name is Ernie Stokes, and I'm the elementary music teacher and fifth grade strings teacher at Butts Road Intermediate. I stand in front of you to wish everyone a very happy Music in Our Schools Month. For 38 years, Music in Our Schools Month has been observed as an annual month-long celebration when schools and communities celebrate music in our schools and the music educators who dedicate themselves to bringing music to the lives of our students. From beginning echo songs and songs about baked goods, hot cross buns, to full musical masterpieces. Students in Chesapeake Public Schools learn from some of the finest music educators. At the elementary level, we set the foundation for our students' love and knowledge of music through singing, playing instruments, dancing, chanting, tapping, stomping, patting, whispering, echoing, and so much more. We teach our students about music. Our middle and high school teachers then take our students even further, first as beginning instrumentalists and as young vocalists to wonderful musicians performing major musical works. 
Once again, music has filled our auditoriums, gymnatoriums, and cafetoriums with performances at every level. It is exciting that this year we have been able to bring back so many musical opportunities. Last month, for the first time since 2019, 108 fourth and fifth grade musicians rehearsed and then put on an amazing performance for all city elementary chorus. I'm sure that anyone in attendance can tell you they sang their hearts out. I truly think one of my favorite moments that night came as a student came up to me offstage going, that was fun, can we do it again? Thank you, Ms. Scott, and all the ministers that were present at this event. Many of us teach the same students for many years. We see them grow as young musicians, as young people, as young adults. We build meaningful relationships with our students. We care about their well-being. We care about their future. We always care for them, even after they leave our classrooms. If I ever question why I teach, I remember the student who wrote me a note to tell me that I gave her confidence. The parent that told me that her child always felt accepted and successful in my room. The student who emails me years later to tell me that music has always been in my life and I truly want to thank you. And this year, the student at the end of a band concert who ran, and I kid you not, ran off the stage to find me to show me his clarinet and play me my favorite song. Building relationships with our students becomes more important every year. And I can tell you music teachers throughout Chesapeake go above and beyond for our students. Come listen to our musicians and make music, and I assure you, you will be inspired by their joy, their talent, and their musical abilities. This year, we've had students from elementary, middle, and high schools perform at state and national conferences, in city and district level ensembles, and some are preparing to present themselves at state level ensembles. Chesapeake music teachers will continue to inspire and be inspired by our musicians. Music is alive and well in Chesapeake Public Schools. Happy Music in Our Schools Month. Thank you for your time, your dedication to our students, and your support of music in our schools. Madam Chair, this concludes our speakers for this evening. Thank you for sharing your comments. Our practice is to receive information. However, we do not usually engage in dialogue, and that is our intent tonight. If appropriate and not already provided, someone from the superintendent's staff will evaluate your concern and provide a response. We will now move on to the consent agenda. I'll entertain a motion for approval. So moved. Moved by Mr. McCormick. Is there a second? Seconded by Mrs. Dean. Any discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Dr. Smith. Motion carries with all board members <clears throat> present voting yes. Next is the information agenda. The first item is the ESSER update. Ms. Lucente. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, this evening, we're gonna do a brief update on our ESSER three uh, funding. It's part of what we discussed last time, and it's something that we have to do periodically um, with the requirements from the state. So we're gonna look at the current application and the expenditures and our proposed amendments that will be um, probably developed and submitted this week. Um, part of our pandemic funds philosophy, philosophy is the same as we've used um, way back in the economic downturn when we received the ERA funds and the school stabilization funds. And that's first of all, of course, to comply with the grant requirements and to try to use those funds strategically um, with as minimal recurring costs as possible. So what generally happens with these funds is we do one-time expenditures. This time with the ESSER and CARES funds, a lot of it has been going to uh, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. So um, that's a one-time expense or a not annually recurring expense for those schools. And again, we wanna limit the uses that may not be sustainable once the funding is no longer available. These particular funds are available to us through September 30th of 2024. So anything that we have here that is a full-time position that we intend to continue beyond the funding would have to be included in the 24-25 operating budget. The grant itself requires that 20% of the funds be used to address learning loss, and there's a specific definition by the state for learning loss. We well exceed that. Um, it also requires periodic updates based on input from stakeholders. Generally, they look for a stakeholder survey or some other means that you can point to for periodic uh, input from the public. We did an initial survey in June of 2021 in order to develop the, app, the initial application. We did a, a survey also in December of 22, which was required as a six month uh, period. And we will likely have to do future surveys in June of 23, so we'll have to do another one in the next couple of months, um, December of 23 and June of 24 be before the actual funding sunsets. We also have additional means of stakeholder input that's separate from the survey, and that's uh, citizen comments at the board meeting, uh, feedback through Let's Talk, 
meetings that the superintendent has with various stakeholder groups such as students, teachers, and principals. So we have uh, almost ongoing, but we have to provide the survey to provide evidence as required by the state or the federal government in relation to these funds. The current budget, uh, the amount allocated is $51.1 million. And you can see the allocation of the funding. Most of it is either down in HVAC projects and portables, $20.5 million, or up in personnel and fringe benefits costs. This includes substitutes to fill in for teacher vacancies, contact tracers, which we had during the height of the pandemic and are still doing some activity with contact tracing, curriculum writing for um, either new software or new programs that are, are part of the learning loss, we have some full-time TAs in there that are designed to assist with teacher vacancies um, and also provide some planning time opportunities in various schools. We do have some full-time positions in there. So there's three um, family and community engagement personnel, um, a lead TIS, which was added because we went from not one-to-one to one-to-one -one almost immediately, and there was additional work that needed to be coordinated for that, and some uh, professional and organizational development coaches to assist the teachers as they go through the training on what was required for the, the switch to one-to-one -one and the, the various changes uh, to deal with learning loss. We also had some summer school programs. The first year of the program, we had an, an extended summer school program. There's been extensive software and licenses, tutoring, hotspots. You can see the types of things that make up that $7.8 million and about $9.4 million, most of which is interactive panels. Back in 08, when we got these stabilization funds, those were used to put in smart boards, which no longer are as effective with the Chromebooks as the interactive panels. So this time around, we're not only replacing those smart boards, we're expanding the number of interactive boards into classrooms that previously did not have smart boards. So that facilitates and enhances the use of the one-to-one -one devices. So with that $51.1 million, we've spent to date $15.4 million. As you can see, um, HVAC projects are a big piece of this, but they have to be phased because it requires a lot of coordination and most of the work on that type of activity happens during the summertime after school is closed. So you have those little pockets in, in the school cycle. Most of these funds are designed to be more than one year. They're designed to go for two years or possibly three years or through the whole cycle of the funding. So that's why you'll see that we've only spent 15.4. Again, the biggest piece is down in the HVAC projects, uh, one of which will be completed this summer. The other two, I think, are starting this summer also, aren't they? Or being prepared to start this summer. And the uh, salaries are for two years on the TAs, which is the largest piece of the funding. The learning loss, um, as you can see from here, these are the items that are included in learning loss. The extended summer school was services that we purchased from the YMCA and the Boys and Girls Clubs. Um, virtual Virginia, the first year of the, the pandemic when we had vir more students on virtual than we currently do. Uh, Hotspots, the interactive panels. So we had 54.5% um, in learning loss. What we are recommending is that we make some adjustments in that learning loss. We do have the capacity to do that. Um, so we would reduce some of the part-time costs, largely because it hasn't been used as extensively as we intended or expected, because we can't find the people. Um, so those funds would be used to provide funding for security positions um, to enhance and provide some additional support at the elementary levels. And we are also uh, transferring some money to provide in, or instructional draws for schools for materials and supplies. On our non-learning loss, um, there are some adjustments and those security positions are not considered learning loss. So you see the increase there in contact tracing and the personnel costs up top. And we are also um, reallocating some funds from computer Chromebook replacements to pilot the metal detector program. So this will adjust our percentages down from 54 to 51, but we're still above the required 20%. So these funds can be expended through September 30th, so most of the staffing covers two years, and we expect the HVAC projects to be completed by the end of the, the funding period. So our next steps are to amend the application and submit the application, 
and once the application has been approved by the state um, without any changes or with changes if they require them, then we can um, advertise and, f and try to fill some of these positions that are added in here. So that's our update on ESSER 3. If you have any questions, I'm available to try to answer them. Ms. Dean? Just yes, a quick question on that. Can you just elaborate on the contact tracing? I know it's just a piece of that bucket, but the bucket as a whole is getting bigger. So I'm trying to understand exactly it's not what we need. Just the con There's more than one thing in that contact tracing in that line, that $3.7 million. The summer school incentives for the um, summer school where we provided additional $75 a day to summer school workers is in there. Um, also the cleaning supplies and PPE. So the contact tracing itself is not a large dollar amount. I think it's about $125,000 is what we have budgeted for that. And that's just for personnel to actually? Yes, to actually the make the phone calls with the, the families. There is still some contact tracing taking place in relation to COVID. Okay. It's Thank not you. anywhere near what it was two years ago. Thank you. Did I answer your question? Mr. McCormick. Thank you, Ms. Lucente. I appreciate it. A quick question on the additional or new positions that you're going to use these funds for, for security officers and safety and security staff. Do you have a timeline on when you think that would be move well, once, forward? Once the amendment is approved, then we can um, put the positions out there and HR can try to staff them. So it, 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 the state usually turns around the application amendments fairly quickly. So it's possible that in the next two weeks we could advertise those positions. And then for those positions, since they're long-term positions, we'll need to make adjustments in future budgets to be able to continue those. Yes. There are full-time positions that are in this ESSER three funding that we'll have to accommodate in 24-25, including the security and the uh, TAs. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I see no additional questions. Thank you. Thank you. The last item on the information agenda is the proposed revisions to school board bylaws B2-32. Dr. Smith. Thank you, Chair Swigert. Um, tonight we have proposed revisions to bylaw 2-32, which governs public participation in school board meetings. It's loaded in board docs for your review and consideration. These revisions would clarify who is eligible to address the board during the public hearing or hearing of citizens portion of the meeting. As it's written, speakers would include Chesapeake residents, parents or guardians of Chesapeake Public Schools students, including those that may live out of the area, and employees of Chesapeake Public Schools. As a reminder, changes to bylaws would require a vote at two consecutive meetings before they go into effect. Um, we're happy to answer any questions you may have and we're open to any feedback that you may wish to give on this particular proposal. Yeah, I'll just add a brief thought. You know, it's my personal, um, you know, preference that we make sure that we explore any revisions to this bylaw thoroughly so that any person who has a true vested interest in the operations of this school board, this district, and, and any of the related um, activities have the opportunity to have their voices heard. And we want to make sure that we are um, providing that opportunity as we always have and make sure that... Um, that we're covering all the people who, who might still have a vested interest in that. And I certainly, um, I know some of our colleagues on the board have some additional thoughts they might want to offer on that. And I will open that up to anybody who would like to add any specific thoughts or guidance. You know, specifically, potentially looking at adding business owners, some other categories. So we'll give you the opportunity to maybe look at some additional categories and then we'll consider this further at a later point. Absolutely. Thank you. So moving on, the first item on the action agenda is the resolution for the Virginia Opioid Settlement. Mr. Barry. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, <clears throat> the board may recall that uh, last year uh, we brought to your attention, when I say we, I mean representatives, attorneys uh, working for the Virginia Attorney General's Office, brought to the board's attention the opportunity to consider entering a legal settlement which would bring a very substantial amount of money to the Commonwealth. Uh, a class action lawsuit had been brought against various manufacturers and distributors of opioid products uh, and attorneys general from all over the country uh, had joined in a class action suit seeking a remedy for those persons who have been adversely affected by opioid uh, distribution. Uh, at that time a settlement was reached and a very substantial amount of money was brought into the Commonwealth and assigned 
to city and county governments, not school divisions, unfortunately, but to school and uh, but city and county governments uh, to combat the uh, metal, medical and mental health effects of opioids. Uh, that settlement was joined in by this school division, as uh, was the case for multiple school divisions throughout the Commonwealth. <coughs> Excuse me. The way the uh, settlement was drawn, the more municipalities, counties, and school divisions that participated, the more money would be allowed to flow into Virginia. Well, I'm pleased to bring to your attention that another class action is nearing resolution, again by settlement, and once again, city, county, and school board governments have been asked to participate in this settlement to once again bring a very substantial amount of money into the Commonwealth to be assigned to combat the uh, medical and mental uh, effects of opioid addiction and further distribution. At this time, the Attorney General of Virginia has asked this school division and others to join in a settlement which would bring this money into the Commonwealth, uh, but it's necessary that the school division enter a resolution uh, that would uh, allow us to join. The downside of this, if there is one, is that we are releasing the opioid manufacturers and distributions, distributor, distributors from any lawsuits. But as I uh, have shared with uh, uh, the superintendent, I don't believe we have a viable claim against the uh, manufacturers or distributors. So I really don't believe that we are giving up something of value. And I do recommend that we do this because I think we're bringing a great deal of money into the Commonwealth where it is needed. Uh, I'd be glad to answer any further questions, but I recommend to the school board that it join uh, in the uh, statewide opioid settlement, in this case, phase two. And the board has been provided with the draft legislation, draft resolution for this. And if there are no additional questions for Mr. Barry, are there? I will entertain a motion for approval. So moved. moved by Mr. Mercer. Is there a second? Second. Seconded by Mr. Poole. All, uh, is there any additional discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Dr. Smith. Motion carries with all board members present voting yes. Okay. The second and final item on the action agenda is the superintendent's proposed budget. Ms. Lucente. Thank you, Madam Chair. I'm going to pass it off to Ms. Cloud, who's the Director of Budget, and she will do the presentation. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Good evening, Chair Swigert, Vice Chair Mercer, and school board members. Tonight's budget work session will start with the latest budget information available from the state and how the division will proceed in moving forward in the planning process. Next, a quick recap of the current and upcoming fiscal year budgets will be provided. Then recommendations for board action will be made, followed by a review of the next steps in the budget process. First up, the state budget. Since our last work session, there have been some updates on the state budget. A skinny budget or stopgap budget has been released and reflects amendments adopted by the General Assembly, both by the House and the Senate. The skinny budget closely aligns with the June 2022 adopted budget, which has the 5% compensation that was part of the governor's proposed budget from December 2022. It is our understanding that members of the General Assembly will continue to work on budget amendments that may be considered by the full assembly when it reconvenes again on April 12th. Please note the VDOE has not released updated revenue calculation tools to reflect the skinny budget. As such, Revenue estimates are still in a proposed state until a final budget is released and approved by the governor. Although the timing of an improved budget, state budget is unknown, it is necessary for the division to proceed in its planning process. Therefore, for the current year, fiscal year 22-23, the division will continue using appropriated fiscal year 22-23 revenues as of June 2022. For the upcoming year, fiscal year 23-24, the administration is recommending that the budget proceed using the governor's proposed budget as of December 2022 as its revenue assumption for the proposed budget. 
The board will be requested this evening to adopt a proposed fiscal year 23-24 budget in order for the city to present their budget to the city council. Now a review of fiscal year 22-23's budget. Fiscal year 22-23's operating budget appropriation is $563 million. Information related to the fiscal year 22-23 budget is for information and planning purposes as generally no requests are made to adjust the council appropriation. Any excess revenues generally become a school division reversion and any expected revenue shortfalls are managed by expenditure. With that said, the governor's proposed budget amendments should, should they ultimately become part of any approved General Assembly budget primarily update state sales tax and basic aid for an overall increase of $1.8 million. The next few slides review the superintendent's proposed operating, categorical, and special funds budget for fiscal year 23-24. The proposed budget is $785.7 million, about a $27 million increase over fiscal year 22-23's budget. The increase is driven mostly by the operating budget with an increase of $40 million due primarily to salary infringes. The categorical budget offsets the increase by about $17 million with pandemic funding beginning to sunset. Special funds are increasing approximately $4 million to align revenues to planned expenditures. Changes in the operating budget salaries and fringes are supported by compensation and health care cost adjustments. The proposed budget includes a 5% increase to all scale and above scale employees. This will be achieved with a 3.5% scale adjustment and a 1.5% step adjustment. The resulting starting teacher pay will be $53,303 and top of the scale teacher pay at step 40 will be $92,263. $1.5 million is proposed to implement the first phase of recommendations from the salary study currently underway. Additionally, health care is adjusted four points. Yes. Yes, sir. Because at this particular point, inevitably, I have somebody who sends me an email that says you're spending a million and a half dollars on a salary study. And, 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 and I just want to make it clear that this is the implementation of that salary study, that 1.5, and it goes towards, am I right, the steps or whatever that we're using, or where does it go it, exactly? It will go towards the first phase of, of the, the recommendations of coming the recommendations. Out, out of the salary study. Yeah. So this is not money we're paying to a consultant. This no, is money sir. that's going into the salary scales. Yes. Okay. Yes, I just, to adjust the, any issues that It might. just gets confusing yeah. sometimes when people are listening, and they and you can see where if you're, if you're, eating your dinner at your tabletop listening to you and all of a sudden you hear 1.5 million for first phase of salary study you can think that we're spending it for a consultant that's i understand okay yep thank you you got it you're welcome um health is also adjusted at 4.6 million dollars to help align with the upward trajectory and cost trends Changes in categorical budget reflect the expiration of some federal and state pandemic grants. Federal CARES ESSER-1 and CARES set-asides completed September 2022, while ESSER-2 and ARP IDEA 611 and 619 run through September 2023. The state's ARPA school employee pandemic bonus ended in December of 2022. ESSER-3's application will be amended, as Ms. Lucente just discussed to further support safety and security. Requiring approval by the state, the amended amendment will add a supervisor of safety and security along with additional safety personnel to support elementary schools. The amendment will also provide funding to pilot metal detectors at select schools. Last, special funds are updated to reflect anticipated expenditures for the upcoming fiscal year. There are one-time funds available to address funding needs of several projects. $2,613,178 is available from the school's fiscal year 21-22 reversion. This money is recommended to be used for a new HR payroll system. $12,174,145 
from the city's fiscal year 21-22 actual over budget re revenues is also available and recommended to be allocated to the athletic fund for tracks, to the replacement of the Chesapeake Career Center, to auditoriums, to playgrounds, for paving needs and for the conversion of B.M. Williams Primary to kindergarten through fifth grades. Please keep in mind several high priority capital needs are not funded in next year's budget. Ten and a half million dollars is still needed to provide security vestibules at our remaining schools. Funding is also needed to support efforts to expand programming and enhance the learning environment at the Chesapeake Career Center. Finally, there are several capital needs included here and outlined in the joint facility study that cannot be funded within the current lockbox or revenue sharing formula. Now onto the board action recommendations. At this time, we respectfully request the board to adopt the superintendent's proposed budget as the school board's proposed fiscal year 23-24 operating categorical and special funds budget. Furthermore, we ask for the board to request July 1st, 2023 appropriation for the one-time funds. The next step in the process will occur May 22nd and will include balancing the proposed budget to the City Council's budget appropriations as needed. Additionally, the budget will be reconciled with any changes from the state budget and or board priorities and then adopted by the board. Right. Thank you for your time this evening, and questions are now welcomed. Ms. Dean? Just a question on the, um, the unmet needs section, and maybe Dr. Cotton, this is for you. Are those in any sort of particular order, the way they're listed? Is that a prioritization? I would say no. Um, they're, um, you know, the two items that were listed, the vestibules as well as the career center were, were presented to the joint at our joint city council meeting and of course uh, the city has informed me that the career center is their top cip priority right now but but uh, we haven't ranked them in any particular order but we certainly can and then just the last thing on the um, one-time funds have have has there been any discussion on where those are going to go specifically in terms of schools like is there a plan for that and that's how we came to that amount are you talking about the playgrounds playgrounds auditorium like have those schools already been identified and that's how we estimated those specific yeah, we numbers. can we can get that information to the board there was about i want to say miss Dutts, about uh eight or nine school playgrounds that were next on the list to be improved and i believe uh there were particular auditoriums do you want to speak to that and we can certainly provide that to the board sure thank you thank you dr cotton uh yeah i believe we've got like eight or nine playgrounds that had not been uh redone uh, so we we do have them on a priority list um, based on quite honestly they all need to be replaced so it's varying it's a very slim margin quite quite honestly um, but those those will need to be done we can certainly provide you a list uh, risk management has reviewed them and they review them each year for safety um, just to, to point out. Um, some of the things like the auditoriums, those are not full auditorium replacements because it's more money than that. Um, these would be things such as uh, we have some old auditoriums that still have the wood seating. So we might be replacing seating. Some of the ones I'm looking at right now as an example would be Deep Creek Middle, Southwestern Elementary, and we have some uh, seating that uh, has not fared well over at Greenbrier Middle School. So we'll be, but it's not full replacement. So it might be seating, it might be some painting, um, it might be some flooring, um, a sound system, those type of things in the auditoriums. Um, paving needs, we have those all over, and those are actually are in the CIP. It's just a matter of we didn't do them for an extended period, so we're trying to uh, you know, tick them off a little bit quicker than we were in the past. Um, but we can certainly give you a, a little more detail on those if you like. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Ms. Scott? Um, I just wanted to give a shout out to Hickory Elementary in regards to the playgrounds. Their PTA is giving $70,000 towards their uh, playground fund. It took them five years to raise that money, but that helps us spread that million dollars a little bit further. So I just wanted to say that and thanks for those continued partnerships. Are there any additional questions? Mr. McCormick? Uh, on the uh, one-time funds, for example, the $3 million on the Career Center, 
if that doesn't move forward in this next year and it's not used, what happens to that money? Is it just set aside to continue to be placed for the career center or used for something else? The, the city has a requirement that CIP funds have to be expended within a certain period of time where they revert. So what would probably happen is if no action is taken place with that particular project, we'd probably ask for an extension on that and the city council can do that. So it's if we're waiting to accumulate funds this way, it's going to take a while. And if it's going to be used for something else, does that come back to the school board? If, or? if, it's, if it, there's an appropriation for a specific project, which would be the career center, if for some reason the school board um, wanted to use some of those funds for a different project, you would have, the board would have to make a request of city council to um, redirect those funds to another project. So we don't have the authority to change that appropriation because um, most appropriations are for specific projects in the CIP. So if you want to reuse them for something else, even if there's available funds from a closed project, it requires council action to move those funds to, some, to another project. Okay, thank you. Did that answer? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, seeing no additional questions, I will entertain a motion for approval. That approval in three parts. You want to go back to that page where you're asking us for what we, what, what you want. Yeah. I think are, it's. Are, are we, we? How do you want this? You can do it all. You can do it all in one, okay. one fell swoop if you're open to doing that. All right. I move adoption of the school board's proposed FY 23-24 operating budget. Also. Uh, the request for categorical and special funds and a request for July 1st, 2023 appropriation of one-time funds. Is there a second? Seconded by Ms. Scott, I believe. Um, is there any additional discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. aye. Opposed? Dr. Smith. Motion carries with all board members present voting yes. Thank you. Next is the superintendent's report and spotlight. Dr. Cotton. Thank you, Madam Chair and members of the board. Uh, just a few announcements first before I go to my spotlight. I'd like to announce um, you all just approved this evening under consent a revision to the published board meeting calendar. The meeting currently scheduled for Monday, April 24th, will be moved to Thursday of that week, April 27th. Uh, Dr. Smith has updated the meeting calendar to reflect this change. I would also like to mention to the public that the policy and regs governing, governing facility use have been made active and the Office of Student Activities and Facility Use is accepting and processing applications accordingly. Of course, as the board directed, they are reaching out to groups who are currently using our facilities and informing them that they have to come into compliance within 60 days of the new policy and regulations. We're also continuing our March celebrations by recognizing National Foreign Language Week, National School Social Work Week, and National School Breakfast Week. With that, I'll move on to my spotlight. Thank you again tonight for the opportunity to share with the board some highlights from across the school district. I continue to be so proud of the work our students and staff um, daily, and I'm proud of our community for their continued support of our efforts. To start tonight, I'd like to thank some of those partners, including the City of Chesapeake and 22 other area businesses in fields ranging from cybersecurity to physical therapy to orthodontics and many others who hosted students doing our first ever job shadowing day. The event, appropriately titled Take a Peek, allowed over 100 juniors and seniors to peek into the world of work after high school and the many possibilities that are available to them right here in Chesapeake. Special thanks to our Career and Technical Education Department for creating an application process for students and securing so many community partners to support the effort. What will life after high school look like was also the central focus for an event of the same name held last week for Oscar Smith High School students. The event was open to 9th through 12th graders and their families and included both colleges, universities, military recruiters, and employers, including Chesapeake Public Schools. It also provided the unique opportunity to hear directly from a juvenile and domestic relations court judge and learn more about the legal responsibilities after turning 18. City Councilman Don Carey also spoke with students about the importance of getting experience in certain fields 
through internship opportunities. Some industries also conducted interviews and offered on-site employment offers to our seniors. This past Friday, students and teachers were filled with excitement for Western Branch Primary School's STEAM Day. Sandra Wolfong, the school's technology integration specialist, organized the event. Every class participated in a science, technology, engineering, art, or math activity that was hand-selected for each grade level. Each classroom also included a special guest presenter in their respective field, including a beekeeper, a meteorologist, Mr. Frank Moncrief, a 93-year-old retired Navy SEAL who trained the first astronauts, members from NASA and NOAA, and more. Thank you to all of our community partners and volunteers who participated in the event, including our very own Mrs. Adrian Sawyer, Supervisor of Elementary Science, and Dr. Francie Cooney, Supervisor of K-12 Mathematics. One of the highlights every year is the opportunity to celebrate Reading Month. Schools across the district found unique ways to celebrate, including Spirit Days, unique lessons, and guest readers. On Read Across America Day, several schools invited guest readers to stop by. I'd like to extend a special thanks to Captain Matt Frauenzimmer, Commanding Officer of NSA Hampton Roads, and other members of his team who stopped by Grassfield Elementary to share stories with the students. <clears throat> we appreciate your time and service. I also had the opportunity to read at Crestwood Intermediate last week, and I'm looking forward to making stops at Deep Creek Elementary and Carver Intermediate later this month. I know several of our board members have been reading because I've seen the pictures on Twitter, so it's obvious that, that you all are getting out there and reading to our students, and we appreciate that. Another great place I got to visit earlier this month was Any River High School for the unveiling of the very first care space. This effort is an example of the great partnership between our Chesapeake Educational Foundation and our Office of Family and Community Engagement. The groups joined forces to install these spaces at participating schools with the goal to provide students with free access to school supplies, hygiene products, and any other items they might need to feel confident and be successful throughout the school year. As of today, eight have been installed, but installations are continuing through the summer. If you'd like to donate to support this important program, please visit the Foundation website at cpsef.com. Congratulations to the Grassfield High School Theater Company. This group took home the VHSL Class 6 State Championship for their one-act performance of the Yellow Wallpaper. Ella Bashirs earned the Best Actor Award for the leading role. The cast will offer an encore performance open to the public at Grassfield High School on March 22nd at 7 p.m. This is their second consecutive state championship. Well, way to go, Grizzlies. And before I close tonight, I have some exciting news to share. Just last week, the Virginia Department of Education awarded Old Dominion University two state planning grants to develop lab schools in Hampton Roads. Oscar Smith Middle School will be one of those schools partnering with Old Dominion University to infuse computer science into their IB Middle Years program. They received $200,000 for a planning grant. This initiative will include collaboration across a statewide computer science lab school network, and I can't wait to provide updates and see their work in action. Madam Chair and members of the board, this completes my spotlight for this evening. Thank you. Last on our agenda this evening is board member items. Does any board member have items to bring before the group? Okay. I will just quickly say, even though he's not here with us tonight, we want to wish a very happy birthday to board member Mike Lamonia, who is celebrating a birthday next week. And with that, I will call this meeting adjourned. Thank you.